Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you. Well, you can uh, grab your seat. Thanks for having me today. I'm up all the way from Wollongong, of course. You've all been to Wollongong, right? Who hasn't been to Wollongong? Just show your hand there. What's going on? What's wrong there? Not going to Wollongong. It's not far. It's only three hours. It looks similar to what this does, actually. I rise and... Mark were gracious enough to give us a, an apartment there just by the water, so that's been beautiful. Uh, married for 34 years, got two grandchildren, uh, Teddy, he's four, and Arthur is uh, seven months. How many of you, when I just said then, I just said on my grandfather, thought, that guy is way too young. <laughs> just put your hand up if you thought that. Just, like, everybody put your hand up. Come on, don't, don't be shy. Next, I'm going to do that joke next session, so if you were here next... Put your hand up straight away, just so it looks like. Now, it's rough getting old, isn't it? 50, 54. I turned 55 in a month. There you go. So it's uh, been a long road. I pastored the church that I grew up in. I've been at Lighthouse, my church, since I was 11 years of age. I've tried to leave many times, but I haven't been able to as yet. I, my wife, Annette, her father started our church 52 years ago. So I married the pastor's daughter, right? That's how you get the church. Don't worry, don't worry about gifting or anointing. Marry the pastor's daughter. That's what I always encourage the younger ones to do. And so being there a long time, you can imagine that our church was a certain way. And then under me, it became a different kind of church because the church is never meant to stay the same. And if I was to describe my church, I would say my church without... Uh, uh, any exaggeration whatsoever, is a church that my city cannot do without. In fact, they will tell you that. I won't tell you that. We did a survey 10 years ago after all the community work that we did, and, and we surveyed 5,000 people. I hired an organization to do it. Uh, they asked 5,000 people in our city, what do you think about when you think about Lighthouse? And 73% of our population said that when they think of Lighthouse, they describe it as a place that helps people. Yet, our city has two physical lighthouses in it, right down by the water, and nobody described those. They immediately described our church. If I was to say to you, I've really only had two thoughts in the last 10 years. I mean, I am from Wollongong. Any more than one thought is a good thing. Two thoughts is amazing in Wollongong. I've really only had two thoughts, and I'm going to share about the second one. The first thought is this. Uh, thank God it's Monday, because Sunday's not enough. What you're in today is not the game. This is the halftime message ready to get you ready for the game tomorrow. The reason why our city can't do without our church is because for 22 years I've taught my church that what you do tomorrow is spiritual. And that if you're a nurse, a doctor, a tradesman, a teacher, whatever it is that you do, that is God's calling upon your life. And in fact, you never have to leave your job to do my job to feel spiritual. In fact, yeah, I'm not preaching, I've got to watch it because it is my passion. In fact, I'll just give, throw one more out there. Why is it that we've unintentionally taught people that sit in congregations that somehow the presence of God is amazing on Sunday, but you can't find it anywhere when you go to work on Monday? The presence of God is seamless throughout every day of the week. You should not expect to experience God in a song today, but not see him in your workplace tomorrow. So I taught my church that no matter what you do, God is there, he lives in you, and whatever you do with your hands, your head, and your feet is what you will put on 
the earth to do. The second thought that I have been given, and I've got to keep talking about it till it gets out of me, is the one I want to talk to you about today. I started to have this thought about two or three years ago. I began to ask myself, well, what does it really require for me or you to grow either personally, in faith or as a person, what does it require for this church to grow? What does it require for your business to grow, your marriage to grow, your family life to grow? What does it require? Most people would tell you in order to grow, you'll have to add knowledge to your current knowledge. And then as I began to read about Jesus and the way he taught, it dawned on me that actually it's impossible to grow as a person or a church if all you ever do is add knowledge upon knowledge. In fact, what I want to speak to you about today is important. That in order for you to grow as a person, in order for you to grow as a church, you will have to first unlearn some things that you currently know and relearn what God wants to teach you. I want to t talk to you this morning about rethinking, about unlearning what you know so that you can become the person God wants you to know. It is impossible for you to become the person God wants you to be if you think what you need right now is more knowledge. I suggest, and I've been leading for 35 years, both in my own life and yours, that most of the time when we get stuck, it's not because we need to know something new. It's probably because what we're currently doing is holding us back. And we have to unlearn that thought as best we can. So today, welcome to the unlearning journey. We're going to help you unlearn so that you can relearn and become who God wants you to be. Romans 12, 2. What does it say? Don't conform to the patterns or customs of this world, but instead, let God transform you. By what? By changing the way you think. Isn't that funny because I was brought up my whole life in church that actually put, all the language was about, hey, Paul, you know, you need a change of heart, you need a change of spirit, uh, you know, changes on the inside, change. And it was almost this elusive thing. And of course, I, I, the moment that you receive Christ, that day that you become born again, yes, you get a new spirit. But can I suggest to you that transformation is a work of your brain? Oh, yeah. I could feel it then, the tension. It's not simply just a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit when you were far from Christ and now you know Christ and now you're born again. But according to Romans 12, 2, in order for you to become the person God wants you to be, you have to let God change the way you think. It's not often our heart that gets in the road. It's how we think about life. It's how we see it. And unless we let our thinking change. And then it says, it actually says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. You know, I speak to young people and young adults a lot, and I remember a long time ago when I was younger, that one of the things that used to always uh, upset me was I, could, I couldn't work out what God's will was for my life. What's my destiny? Now, in fact, tonight, if we're doing this q and I'd love to talk on rethinking destiny. Because we've, and you said it today, Rose, overthinking. Because this scripture says, don't even worry about what your destiny will be, because if you let God transform your thinking, then you will find out God's perfect will for your life. Yeah, what we do is we're running around, what's God's will, what's God's will, what's God's will, 
God says, no, there's a step before that. You have to let me change your thinking, and then you'll see your destiny. Anyway, I don't want to preach that now, but I'm going to suggest that you you don't wake up and have a destiny. Destiny comes towards you when you walk out your faith. You have to go searching for it. You know, Jesus, when I think about Jesus, Jesus was uh, on earth to get people to rethink. I never saw it before. Don't you think that's great about the Bible? You read it a certain way for years and years and years and years. And then when the Holy Spirit drops something in you, a new thought, every time you, this is just me, every time I open the Bible, all I can see is the same thought. It's like, thank God it's Monday. Now, every time I read the Bible, all I see is about how God interacts midweek, not Sundays. And the same when I think about reading it. Now I'm looking at Jesus and I've been told all my life, Jesus gets people together and he teaches them. But Jesus doesn't get people to teach, together to teach. Jesus gets people together to help them unlearn what they know so they can relearn what he's trying to teach. Let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus is with his disciples. I mean, they're just young men. They, they don't know a lot, but actually they do carry something. You know what they carry? Hundreds of years of tradition has been, they're in their late teens, and the gift their generation gave to them was generations of tradition, and they just went, blah, live like that. We did. You should. So Jesus gets them together. In Matthew chapter 5, he goes, he goes up the mountain. I love that picture, by the way. Jesus is down, it says he's down the bottom, and he's speaking to the crowd. He's doing the miracles all over the place. Every time he's with the crowd, he's doing the miracles. He turns around, he says nothing to disciples. He walks up the mountain, hoping that his disciples will follow. He knows the crowd won't, by the way. The crowd never go up. The crowd stay where the miracles are, where their excitement is, where it's good for them. They stayed there. But the disciples, thankfully, the disciples were smart enough to go, oh, Jesus is going up, let's go. So they go up. And when they get up to the top, it looks like Jesus is teaching them. But then he says things like this. In uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, he says, you've heard the law say it this way. In other words, you've heard it said, boys. Um, The punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you right now, now that I've arrived, Jesus said, now that I'm here, you've heard all that, but now that I'm here, do not resist an evil person. And if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. In fact, further on, he says, pray for your enemies, bless them. But do do you understand how different that thought is? These boys have been brought up on, if somebody punches you in the arm, boys, punch them back. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Now that I've arrived, you have to totally rethink what was dumped on you, what was expected of you. And I'm telling you, the opposite of what you just learned is now what you must do. You know the amazing thing with Jesus? I never saw this until two years ago. I noticed that Jesus almost never did a miracle for the disciples. He did maybe one or two for the disciples. He did miracles for the crowds all over the place. But when it comes to the disciples, he does next to none. I'm like, don't you... I mean, do you love the crowd, Jesus, more than you love the disciples? And I've realized something about Jesus. Jesus does miracles with the crowd, but 
process with disciples. And there's a good reason. And you're sitting there today and you might be hoping, why hasn't God given me the miracle? Well, I mean, I believe him for that miracle for, and it just doesn't come. Yet yeah, you don't need a miracle because instant's not what's going to be good for you. What you need is process. Let me, let me tell you why. Here's Peter. You know, you know Peter, he's on the mountain, right? Peter's got an ego problem. It's very clear from day one. P- Peter thinks he's the man. So Peter, he taught, every time there's, Jesus gives a question, Peter's got the answer. Rarely gets it right, by the way. Got it right once, you know, big deal, Peter. You know, things, you can see he's got an ego because he says things like, Jesus, I would never deny you. He's the worst thing Peter could have got. Now, in, our, in my Pentecostal heritage, if Peter was in the room and we all detected ego, we would have said, oh, we, I just believe I have a word. I have a word. Can I come down here? Does it do something to your video? It does. Oh, no, Mitch is fine. Look at him. He's got it under control. I'd just like to get a bit close. In our culture, we would have said, I just reckon there's somebody here today that's suffering with pride. Actually, we're suffering with your pride. There's a better way to put it. But, you know, we turn it around and keep it it spiritual. I'd just like to come forward. We're hoping that anybody, any male under 20 steps forward. (laughs) And we would put our hand on that person and say, in the name of Jesus, pride come out of that person. Who knows that's the worst thing that could have happened to Peter. You don't want your pride to instantly leave. You want to watch yourself be prideful and then realize you've got pride. And let the Holy Spirit change it in you. You don't want, you don't want things cast out. That are, you don't want miracles where you're supposed to have process. You don't. Because process is the discipleship model. Miracle is the crowd. Give me, give me, give me. I want, I want now, now, now. But if you're going to mature in Christ, you have to rethink the idea that God's going to give you everything. And you have to relearn the idea that actually he promises trials so you will become the person God intends you to be. Nicodemus. How clever is Nicodemus? He's a legend, can teach the law, well-respected. He's a lecturer. People go to him. He's the ultimate Pharisee. He hears about Jesus. He thinks that's an incredible story. I want that story. I want that in my life. So what does he say to himself? He says, if I could add what Jesus is saying to my current knowledge, if I could include that amazing message that he talks about with the miracles, and instead of the other guys, my colleagues just saying, no, 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 what if I add it to what I've got? He meets with Jesus, and Jesus said, no, you don't understand. You can't take what I am and what I'm doing and add it to decades of culture and tradition and teaching and think that you're going to come out with a better message. You, in fact, have to leave behind that and totally stand on what it is to be born again without the rest of what you wish it was. What about Saul to Paul? It's a powerful story. We just lived through a one in 100 year pandemic. And uh, I don't think we did it by accident. Did you know that the 2070 church 
is going to talk about the 2022 church and the 2020 church. You know, they probably won't talk about the 2010 church or the 2015 church, but I guarantee you in 50 years' time, whether we're here or not, they will talk about what we did, how we led, and what the church looked like in 2020. And so I want to use Saul to Paul to talk about this idea, what season we've been in right now and why you need to rethink some things. Here's Saul, he's uh, in Tarsus and he knows he's been told to go to Damascus. But here's the first scary thing about Saul that I want to bring up. It's going to get rough for a moment, so I need you to just hang on to your seat. I don't want anybody running out or collapsing. But here's the first thought about Saul. Saul is killing Christians and he believes two things. He believes, one, what he is doing is good, and two, he believes it's God. Just hold that thought for a moment. He believes what he's doing is good, and it's God. During COVID, I'm the state president. Pastors are emailing me from all over the state. And it started with, COVID's not real, and then they got COVID and figured out it was, and you know, on and on it went. All those conspiracy theories, I got them all emailed to me. That's why you got to hang on for a second. I'm not, you know, then it was the vaccine. You should, you shouldn't. God said, do it. God said, don't do it. And on and on it goes. I'm not really fast what you think. But here's my point. If Saul can think what he thinks is good and God, and it's not, is it possible from time to time we could do the same? See, I used to be a carpenter. And what I know is that uh, there's a certain kind of pain that you get when you're, it's a cold morning and you've got a cold chisel and you're whacking into the, the concrete and you're whacking away and you smack the side of your hand because you missed the chisel. Anyone? Thank you, men. And a few tough ladies. And, we're, and, you're, and in, on the building site, most guys, when they you know, hurt themselves or something, they just go, oh, Jesus. By the way, there's only one more pain worse than that. It's four seconds later, missing again and hitting in the same spot. That's the only other worst pain. Childbirth is close. Thank you, Roz. Don't get... I'll get in trouble if I compare, Roz, childbirth. Uh, it is... I'd say it's close, though. So here's my thought. Here's my thought. Blasphemy is not hitting your hand with a hammer and saying, Jesus... It's talking on behalf of God when he's not talking. So here's what I've learned as a leader, is that I do preach and teach and speak like I believe what I'm saying is good and it's God. But I have to be smart enough to know, because I'm human and fleshly, I'm smart enough to know that not everything I say is good or God. And that's how we should live. In fact, that's the tone to which you should reach your community. We might be right, but we'd rather understand each other first before we tell each other who's right or wrong. So here's Saul. He can't go back. He's met Jesus. You know the story. The Bible says, let's just read it real quick. The Bible says in Acts 9, Saul, Saul picks himself off the ground after seeing Jesus, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. So another version says, he was confused and dazed and blind and on his knees. Here's the thought. He can't go back to Tarsus and he can't take himself to Damascus. He's in this spot where he's been apprehended by Jesus. And I'm going to suggest to you that the last three years was that spot. 
The church globally, you as a Christian, you couldn't do what we have done for a hundred years, which is turn up to church on Sunday. Suddenly, the greatest myth of the church got exposed in the last two years. You know what the greatest myth of the church is? That coming to church on a Sunday is discipleship. That's the greatest myth of the church. Did you know that across Australia today, 30% of the church, those who used to go to church, have not yet, though the church has been back for eight or nine months, have not decided to come back to church. 30%. You know why? Because we were making crowds, not disciples. Did you know today, I'm so thankful you're here because you need a spiritual home, but did you know right now you are not being discipled? Discipleship can only happen. I can only disciple Jordan or he can only disciple me. When he, outside of a large room, walks out his faith alongside my life and watches the way I live out my faith and asks good questions and we can't have a conversation about it. That's how he becomes a disciple. It's impossible to become a disciple sitting in church. And so 30% of the people haven't come back because we didn't make them disciples. We made them church attenders. If you today have long forgotten how to not just be a disciple, but how to make a disciple, it's time to rethink. You are not on earth to hoard the gospel that you were once given so graciously to your own life. I want you to rethink the pause. You know, if I talk in terms of church, see, at our church, we rethought everything. We have not gone back the same. I haven't got time to talk about that today. But we reorientated our whole church around disciples making disciples. But here's the scary thought, is that 90% of the churches, all they did during COVID was say, we just can't wait till this is over, rather than see the gift of COVID, the opportunity of the pause, the rethink of the moment that God uses a one in 100 year pandemic to stop the church in its tracks. Never, it's unheard of. 90% 90% of the churches, because we, here's, here's a thought. We don't know what to do when we don't know what to do. It's very deep, isn't it, for 8 o'clock service? Whew. I love it when you can say something so confusing, nobody... sounds so profound, but it's nothing, really. <laughs> we don't know what to do when we don't know what to do, so we go back to what we have always known. of churches will do that and have, in fact, already done that. Some churches will actually, because we don't know what to do when we don't know what to do, some churches will invent the future because we don't like to do nothing when we don't know what to do. But I'm suggesting the church right now across Australia is in a time of pause. What's the only thing Uh, Saul did, Paul did in that moment. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit has a design and a roadmap for the future church. It doesn't mean we don't do Sundays. It doesn't mean we don't do things that we've been doing. What it means is you hold within you an understanding that you just lived through a rethink moment. And if you didn't rethink, my, my WA pastor friends were ringing me up during our 21 week lockdown. That was enjoyable, wasn't it, everybody? 21 weeks of lockdown. My, and they ring me up and say, oh, Paul, you know, we've only, we, look, out of the whole two years, we've only not had church once. And they're kind of bragging to me. And I'm like, no, no, I feel sorry for you. 
because during the 21 weeks of lockdown, we had to rethink every way we reached our community because we couldn't do it physically. We had to rethink what it means for a bunch of people. We're rethinking right now why 30% of people I've led for 20 years haven't bothered coming back. And here's my principle right now that I feel God spoke to me. You know, we normally use the... We're not following anybody up, by the way. If they're, if they're not doing well, we'll follow them up. Because the old rule is you leave the 99 to go and get the one. But I don't think we're in that season right now. I think it's the prodigal son season. Here's what the father did. The father let the son go. He didn't go get them because the son knows how to come home. I'm not chasing people who chose Jesus for themselves and have decided during COVID that they no longer value the discipline of what it means to follow Jesus. Doesn't matter to us whether we're a part of a church. Doesn't matter if we're reading the Bible. You know what? Truth is, we've got a family day on Sundays. We don't do this. And all of that, I'm not chasing that. I'm not massaging that to try and get people to do what I want. I need them now to be disciples, to hear from God about their future and what they should do. <laughs> Rethink the pause. You know, it's very difficult for, I'm a type A driven person. Sitting still is not a, one of my great qualities. To sit and listen to the Holy Spirit during this time has been difficult. But I wonder for you, what have you got to rethink? What are you asking God to change that you actually need to adjust in your own thinking? I want to, as I know this is the enlarge, I'm going to finish with this scripture, but it, it's your enlarge week. And I want you to rethink enlarge. Because Ros said it today. See, here's what you'll miss. That what you're currently doing is raising money for a building. If that's what you think, you'll totally miss the whole deal. In fact, I want to read to you from Mark 14. Famous story, and we'll finish off with it. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany, home of Simon, man had previously had leprosy and while he was eating a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head and some of those at the table were indignant why waste such expensive perfume they asked it could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor so they scolded her harshly but jesus replied leave her alone why criticize her for doing such a good thing you'll always have the poor among you and can help them whenever you want to but you will not always have me she has done what she could and has anointed my body for the burial ahead of time i want to say something that's important that i had to teach my church for years you have to rethink cost value is more important than cost jesus is sitting in a room and the woman brings the most expensive bottle of Chanel number no. five that everybody knows the cost of, and she bursts it open over Jesus. And the only people in the room that see the value are Jesus and her. Everybody else, all they can think about is the cost. I cannot believe that they would spend so much money. I cannot believe that she would waste something that could have been sold and done so much more for so many more people. I cannot believe. Do you ever do that? I overthink cost. And the cost is a weird thing because I, I just want to confess, I will take my $400 that, you know, that I've saved myself 
and I will go into BCF. And I will, I will not blink. I'm just going to spend up, people. I just whatever I get a hold of. I'm going to buy fishing gear that I don't even need. Now, when Annette tells me that she has paid $400 for a dress, I'm like, you what? How on earth could you pay $400 for a dress? We all have different values. But in this moment, I want to say to you today, it's impossible to be generous if all you look at is the cost. I did my homework, Ross. I don't come to churches unprepared. I listen to Mindy, Roz, and Ian. I don't know you yet, Ian, but I can see your face on the video last week I watched YouTube. See, you've at least got one person watching your YouTube. <laughs> and I watched the whole thing. And I saw Mindy show a photo of the previous generation sitting out in the front of the church. And I thought to myself, they didn't yet know the value of their cost. And it's really easy to dumb down raising money for a building to it's just a building. But actually, if you ignore for a moment the cost and think about value, you are here today in this because somebody else valued value over cost. You will experience today this great facility because somebody pushed through the pain of I wouldn't normally spend or I couldn't possibly afford. Last year, I, I needed a holiday. Hadn't had one for two years. Like all of us, cancelled many. When I went to book one, the price was absorbent. It was huge. The cost was ridiculous. But I knew something. My soul needed a holiday. And so I chose value over cost. I meet couples who won't go to marriage counseling because it costs too much. Hello? But what about the value of clarity? What about the value of learning how to communicate? What about the value of your kids seeing you stay together? What about that value? Who cares what it costs, right? When it comes to those things. And somewhere along the line, we've let ourselves be led by cost, not value. And I'm here and I'm going to go. But my encouragement to you is rethink cost and think about value. I always tell my church, we do the same thing as you. I always tell my church, I don't care if you give 50 cents, but what I can't stand, I can't stand you saying this is your church and you can't contribute something. Like to me, what's that? I don't care if it's 10 cents, but something's got to show your ability to invest into something great that's gone and going to do for generations. You guys are smart doing a multi-purpose center. When I teach community engagement, I'm the national community engagement leader. I teach it all over the, actually all over the world. I tell, tell churches this, don't build a church building. Build a community center and have church in it. Because Mindy did the stats last week. I, I can tell you, because I've used those stats, I can tell you that Australians want more off-leash dog parks than they do church buildings. How's that? Why don't we close this down, get a dog each, and go down to the park, and you can sing while you're walking. Well, if you're serious about reaching the world, because that's apparently what they want more of. Bring your doggy back. We're going to 
going to finish. I wonder if you're here today and you've been around Christians and you've heard them talk about the cost. You've heard them say things like, oh, it's difficult for the Lord, or you've, you've watched them have given up something. And right now you're thinking this whole idea of faith and pursuing God, you're thinking, I'm not doing that, man. Well, that's because you're focused on cost. I want to suggest to you that when Jesus went to the cross, the reason he endured the cost of the cross was because he saw value, not cost. You know what he saw? He saw you. He thought to himself, I will endure this pain for the value of those that I will get to know, the value of those that I will save. I want you to stand as we close. We're going to finish. I want you to stand and close your eyes. And I know we get together like this and many times there's many of us, of course, have made decisions for Christ, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't. And so just for that one, with every eye closed, if you've been thinking about following Jesus, making a decision, but you've been scared off by the thought of what it might cost, want to elevate your thinking, I want you to see the value that he paid the price for your sin, that through faith in him, those sins are washed away. He gives you along with a forgiven life. He gives you a life full of destiny and purpose. And I wonder if you've never made a decision at the end of this meeting, would you come and talk to Roz or myself or one of the team? And we would love to lead you in a prayer, pray with you, that, a simple prayer that invites you in, or at the very least, keep coming until you're ready to make that decision. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.